Good morning, church. I asked for a little bit of grace this morning because as the cold weather comes, so does stuffy noses. Or it could be all the 500 infectious kids I spend time with on a weekly basis. But either way, we must move on. Um, well, this morning, it's a, this is a first for me. I get to start off a new series as we go into our Thanksgiving season. Never gotten to do that before. Normally, I just get thrown in. Sometimes I get to do the finish it off, the finale, but this is new. Uh, we're starting a new series on gratitude, and oh boy, God lays a lot on my heart, and I believe that God speaks in a lot of different ways. And uh, I feel like he lays on all of us in a bunch of different ways, whether it's speaking through the word, through good godly company. I feel like he speaks to me a lot in my frustration. I don't know. I don't know. I could be the only one, but things that make me frustrated and upset, I, I, I doubt I'm the only one. Because I... Uh, The more conversations I have with people, the more I'm realizing that I think everyone's got their own picture of who God is. And I might be the only one, but I... That makes me angry, because everyone pictures God as... I mean, they have this picture of Jesus, but they like to exclude some of the things Jesus has spoken about. They picture God as a soft, caring, forgiving God, which is true. But not always. And in fact, the more I read, the more I see that he, like so many, get angry. And I know I've explained this to a child once where I said, uh, you know, he said, oh, but God is so good and forgiving and so merciful. I said, yeah, but have you seen what makes him angry? And he says, oh, he gets angry? Oh, very much so. And you can read some of the famous stories. I mean, Noah's Ark was a story of his anger and I know that makes it and makes it really easy for atheists and people who disagree with what we believe that gives them fuel for their fire but that's not true it's just a misunderstanding of it really because they'll say how can you be grateful for an angry God I said because if you see what makes him angry you'd be grateful for him too and so when when we look at God, we got to ask, our, ask ourselves this question. Because are we grateful for who God is and all He has done for us? Or just all He has done? Take us out of the equation. <laughs> because here's the deal. There's a phrase in the Bible, and this is what God has laid on my heart often, because I feel like we as a church have mis- made mistakes. We have had a lot of failures in regards of what we are teaching. You see, I feel like, and I've, I've noticed this in my life, where I've gotten so much of my theology from worship songs. The, the pretty home decor that even we have hung up in the church where it's just verses, you know. And we kind of take them. We, 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 they give us comfort and we just want to look at that and that is enough. When the story tells a much different story. When you read all of it, it's different, and there's more to it. And I think our picture of an angry God, and when that anger comes into action, and there's a word for that in the Bible, 
wrath. God has a wrath that he has demonstrated over and over again. And I know uh, God makes it abundantly clear, and Jesus spoke on it a few times, is that we are saved. And that's a word. That's, a, that's one of those highlight words that a lot of Christians like to say is saved. And I've had this conversation, and I've heard this conversation. So many people will say, we are saved. But do they know from what? I mean, it's hard. It's really hard, and I know I can't wait for this. And I'm, I'm praying for this moment when, I, when a teenager who's just getting his toes into the faith gets to, when I get to confront them and say, what are you saved from? Short answer would be sin. But maybe they don't know why they're saved from sin. And the reality would be more like, oh, no, you're saved from the consequences of sin and the place God sends you if you don't make yourself right with God. And I know that's another failure on itself, is the idea of that hell is not a real place. And I've heard that, I've heard that from a preacher online where we just saw a clip of preachers not preaching the truth. And a preacher said, it's a metaphor. And I don't know about you, but I really doubt Jesus would die for a metaphor. <laughs> hell is real, and Jesus made it clear that it's real because it's either eternal punishment or eternal life. Charles Spurgeon says, he quotes this and he says, Think lightly of hell and you will think lightly of the cross. You think lightly of the suffering of lost souls and you will think little of the Savior who delivers you from them. Now I would even say, I would even add to this, if you think lightly of hell, you'll think lightly of the cross. If you think lightly of the cross, you'll probably think lightly of sin. You see, because God hates sin. You see, that God's wrath is His expression of anger, and it's always directed at sin. But the sad part is, the sin lives in us. It is alive in us, it is working in us, and it is the opposite. It is everything opposite of what God is. Which makes God's anger and wrath come from a very specific place and a very specific part of Him. Because God is righteous and holy. You see, unlike our anger, which comes from this selfish need and it often results in outbursts, and our wrath is probably violent and hurtful, His is stored up, as the Word says. His is very controlled and He pours it out at just the right time. Because God is holy. Psalm 5, verse 4 says, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. You see, this is, this is what sin has done and what makes God angry is it ruined everything that he has done. Sin causes separation from the creation he made. Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Sin causes so much separation in the world. I mean, this is obvious. You can probably see that in families, families that break apart. And it's heartbreaking. You see, I don't know if you know, but if you were to cut off things that give life, 
Like if you were to stop drinking water, water provides life to so many things. We see it when the world suffers in a drought. If you were to stop drinking, there's only one thing, you'd eventually die. You know, God made this clear when sin first entered the world. In Genesis chapter 3, there was only one option. And he warned Adam and Eve when this happened. You know this. He said, do not eat of that tree, for you will surely die. And there's another fuel on the atheist fire. Uh, They didn't die. God's a liar. Well, they're still, they're not alive anymore, so (laughs) they're dead. But at the same time, he had to send them out. Because sin cannot be in God's presence. Genesis 3.23, the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. And he's never gone back. Separation is constant. Jesus says it many times. Matthew 25.41, depart from me and into the eternal fire. 25 verse 46, you will go away to eternal punishment. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, here's the warning. You will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Separation. Separation from the presence of God. I mentioned Noah earlier. Genesis chapter 5. This was an example of God's wrath when it reached a basically a breaking point. And he, he searched the world for righteousness and he said it was too filled with violence and corrupt that... He'll take one righteous man and start over. And think of that wrath. He poured it out on the world and it flooded. You see, as much as we want to say that God's anger is against sin, it also He also pours it out at the right time because He makes it a purpose. There is a purpose to His wrath. Deuteronomy 18 Verse 9, we went through Deuteronomy a lot and over and over again it was repeated and God told them over and over again, obey, do not disobey, you will have a good life. And the same thing. It says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Don't be tempted by their sin. It's sin, it's, de- it's bad, it's dangerous, it's going to kill you. And they don't listen. And the sin is tempting. But God is saying it's a warning. This is a warning of what will happen. You separate yourself from the God of life, there's only one option, death. Not only is it attempting it, God warns of how it is enslaving. It enslaves, it draws you in, and it keeps you coming back. Romans 6, 16. Paul writes, do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You see, God desires us to have righteousness. God wants us to know His righteousness, which is why He pours out His wrath. Because He needs, and we need to know that God is holy. And His hatred of sin is just a reflection of His holiness. We don't serve a God who is soft. But He is powerful and He hates what destroys His creation. Now there's so many stories that we can talk about. You can take the story of Noah, for example. 
and how it is a story of how God directs his wrath, but only on the people he don't like. More fuel for that fire against us. But that's not true. I mean, we can go into it a lot, and I could share a lot, and I'll get into some about how when God pours out his wrath on his own people because they should have known better. There's a lot of that. And it's really interesting because God makes his wrath known. Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, be in the second half of that, starting in verse 18. You see, I think this is an interesting section, and it's a section I read to the youth not long ago, and how there is some order in the world. And God makes it known. God has always made it known what is wrong and what is right. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, I could go over more, because, and it's important to, to just take this of note. I know English teachers may be able to say this, too. You know, when you look into readings, and if I was to emphasize something while speaking, I would say it again with a more tone, like, I need to emphasize this. I need to emphasize this. But when Paul's writing a letter, he, he can't do that. I mean, he could probably bold it, but that wouldn't do the same. So he has to repeat He has to repeat that this is what is important. You need to hear this. And what he repeated here, if you were to go on, you'd see it. He emphasizes that God gave them over to their sin. We just read 124. Gave them over in their sinful desires. 126 says God gave them over to shameful lusts. And 128 says he gave them over to a depraved mind. You see, we look at God's anger and his wrath, but it's not always it's not always that to us. Sometimes it's his judgment. And God must let us know that what we are doing is wrong. And he gave us over to not only the the addiction of sin but the consequences as well. Because again, God's wrath comes from a place of holiness. Which is why God was so tedious about instruction to be holy, 
to follow Him, to cling to Him. That was, again, back in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, over and over again. Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17 says, Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods. Bow down to them. And here's, here's what would happen. The Lord's anger will burn against you and He will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain. The ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Uh, and I know I'm foolish. I'm stubborn. I did a lot of things my parents told me not to do. But if God was speaking from the heavens and He said, Hey, you've seen all I've done. Like this was right after He opened, parted an ocean for them to walk through. But still. But we paint the God we want, not the God who is. Maybe you're like me, and if you've grown up with, there's a, a specific verse that used to be on the wall, and this always, it was always nice to read. There's a famous verse from Jeremiah. And for a long time, I didn't know the story, and even sometimes it's hard to read still. You guys may know this one, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's such a nice verse. That can be comforting. You know, everything will be fine. But the story is much darker than a nice verse. Because if you backtrack just a little bit, and I, I, I challenge, I, I, I would say even open it up and see it for yourself because it's, it's insane. So I don't, I think they left this out of Veggie Tales in Sunday school when I was a kid because this is, this is happening. Jeremiah 29. In verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too may have daughters and sons. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Wait, God carried them into exile? And you want them to pray for the prosperity of the city that they are going to? Well, again, go back a little bit more and you'll see why. And you see what's going on, because... The Babylonians were not there just because. They were there for a purpose and God sent them there. Jeremiah 21, verses 4 and 5, it says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I am about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside the city, and I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. God made it evident that, God, that Israel had turned their back on God, and God warned them not to do it. Like this was repeated over and over again in Jeremiah's warnings of, hey, here's what's coming, here's what's coming, and you didn't listen. And then God said, all right, now you guys are all going to be prisoners of war. While you do that, pray for the prosperity, the health and wealth of the places you're going. 
Even though, yes, they killed your brothers and sisters, your whole family, as everyone you may know, burned down your cities and your villages, destroyed you in war. Pray for them. And yet, Jeremiah 29.11, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. It's really hard to imagine hope in a future, probably in times of war, when you're being dragged off to a foreign land. And if you remember the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they were forced. I can't even remember their, their Hebrew names. But they were dragged off and, for, and given new identities, and God said, don't worry, I have plans. But yet it was all part of God's anger at their disobedience. You see, here's the deal, is I think we, that there's so many times when sin, it sin produces all manner of hardship for ourselves, and we bring it on ourselves. But God's wrath has not come from this evil part where God is a vengeful God who wants people to suffer, but instead there is some divine intervention, and God is working for our good. But we just don't know it yet. We may not know it yet. God is intervening, and to us it looks like trial. And I know if you're wondering, you can read all this, and there's some, uh, there's some even more stories we can pour into is, why, wait, why, God? Why are you going to go to such lengths? Why are you going to be so destructive in it? Why is it? Why? Why are you so angry? It's not for us to know, really. <laughs> I mean, we know. He's given everything, we, everything to us that we need to know that God hates sin. So why and what do we do about God's wrath? If you're like me, you may read all of this and cry out. But this is all I can think of. is James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's such a hard one. <laughs> like, How can we, when going through suffering, find joy? When we're going through trials. And I think there's a word I want to highlight there that we probably just gloss over. But he said many, many trials. There's more than one kind. I mean, if you're alive, you'd know there's more than one kind of trial. There's all sorts of stuff, especially for them at the time, they were probably going through persecution. He was writing a letter to tell them, hey, yeah, we know you're getting beat up and left for dead in the streets, but find joy in that. What? <laughs> How are we supposed to find joy in the fact that people want us dead? Well, I think God gives clear instruction said, all right, well, if you're going through hard times, throw off the sin, whatever sin you have in your life. Come cling to me. Put your hope and trust in me, in the God who is there for you, and keep working. He said, you're doing the right thing. Of course you're going to run into enemies. Of course the enemy's going to attack you. I think one of the other trials we may face... Is just the, the results of sin in the fallen world. You can say everything else. 
I mean, of course, persecution is also the fault of sin, but not ours. But the other one is what we go through. Maybe it's the consequences of our own sin or just storms that happen to everyone. The hardships of the world. But the the response to these trials should be the same. Throw off sin, come close to God, and keep growing and keep working. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. You see, I think there's one thing that we get wrong, and I've heard this a bunch of times. I've, from my own family, have said, I can't come to church. I'm a wreck. I can't come to church looking like this. God said, God does not care what you look like. He doesn't even care. If you're fasting, if you're weeping, or if you're mourning, come. There's such hard truth to swallow is that God's wrath is there for a reason. God is working for our good. We may not know it. We may not understand it until after it's done and over and we have learned something, but it is there. This is repeated. Paul repeats this. Romans chapter 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, easy, pleasant times of peace as well as terrible times of suffering. God is working. God is working. But here's the deal. We can paint this as a picture of a God who wants us to suffer. No, God does not want suffering. He has never wanted suffering. That was not the intent when He created creation and called it good. And He repeats this. Ezekiel 18.32 I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. This is the story of Jonah. This is another thing I think VeggieTales got wrong is when we hear the story of Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Preach this. And he was scared. Oh, they beat up prophets. No, he, that's not what we get. And we don't see it until the end of the story where he doesn't want to go. God says, you're going. He runs. You know, storm, big fish. You know the story. In Jonah chapter 4, he sits down all angry after they repented. And God says, why are you angry? He says, because you're a merciful God who wants to save. And it made him angry. God's like, what? 120,000 people repented and are now alive and you're mad about it. Man. You see, I think God's wrath on sin, as much as it is His hatred of sin for what it destroys, it is also for a divine purpose where He wants to preserve righteousness. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, that's a, that's a story again of his wrath where he persuaded Abraham, or Abraham persuaded God, if I find 50 good men, will you save the city? And here's how I know God is, God is a merciful God, because God said, all right, that number can fluctuate. 45, 40, down to 10. God said, if you can find 10, we'll spare these cities. And Abraham couldn't find any. And God rained down His wrath, and in the blink of an eye, wickedness was swept away. Because here's the deal. We are stubborn. 
Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I'm stubborn. It takes me multiple times to listen. You have to tell me multiple times to do what I'm supposed to do. That's why it took forever for me to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. It wasn't until God took away a plan for a life that I got back on track. Because God ultimately does not want us to be destroyed. He wants us to repent and live. That's what Jesus said. God, He told all the people, there's going to be rejoicing when people repent. Do you know that? Luke 15, verse 7, it says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's like, because they're not going to be destined to fire. Do you not understand? And we are stubborn. And it really takes a lot to get us to see our ways. Look at the story of Paul. Like Jesus had to come to him himself and say, Stop persecuting my people. Like if Jesus didn't come and make himself known, would that man have changed? I mean, he, he smiled when Stephen was stoned to death. He approved of it. God's wrath is what it takes to bring us to repentance. Like that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Why is it so many people find God at their lowest point in their life? I've heard, of, I've heard many stories of people who go to prison and that's where they find Jesus because that's when life finally slows down and they can read the book. There's no other people. There is no temptations when you're locked in a cell. If that's what it takes, if that's what it takes, then I trust it. And I trust the God who sends it. Now here's the deal. This is uh, coming back to what I was talking about. How about this, this lie of that we are saved and we have a soft God. Because we'll, we'll, I think a lot of Christians like to walk around like they are, they are entitled to what God blesses. So the question becomes, all right, who is it who is deserving of wrath? Just like Jonah, where he says, oh, I'm mad you saved a city. Do we not think we deserve more? Romans chapter 3, 9 through 11. Paul says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? None at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Because it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who sees God because all have turned away. They have become together worthless. And there is no one who does good, not even one. You see, God has seen that we are hopeless alone. We are hopeless alone and we are all deserving of it. We are all deserving of everything that gets thrown at us. We don't deserve anything. If there's anything that we are entitled to in this life, it's not even the, life, the air we breathe or the life we live. If anything, it's just the dirt. Because from it is what, where we were created from. But even that. You see, sin has corrupted everything that God called good. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserve God's wrath. Naturally, like sin has become natural. That's why Paul uses the phrase sinful nature because that is it. I don't know if you've ever seen a child. And I I love kids. I really do. But I've watched nieces and nephews grow up and they go through that phrase where they learn one word and this word they love. You ever heard the word mine? There is nothing more natural to a kid than I see, I want. Like at and I'm sure mothers, you can, you probably know those first cries are, I'm uncomfortable and this is weird and I don't like it. I mean, even babies when they're the smallest, they cry for what they want, what they need. And that's the only way of communicating. But there's nothing more natural than sin. We are all deserving of God's wrath because we are all sinful. But, that, but praise God for offering us an answer. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. You see, all the hell we deserve. Because I think this is the answer for what are we saved from? Do you not know that the fires of hell are real? It is no metaphor. Jesus is very clear. And this is what, this is the picture of the gospel. Where God saw we were without hope, so we sent hope. And I know there's so many people we can blame. Like Jesus' death is on the Romans, it's on the Jews, it's on anything, but it's. It's also on us. Because it was the consequences of our sin that was poured on Him. It was the consequences of our sin. And this is what God says. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. You see, God said, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to give you one way to escape the fire. One way. The consequences of sin must be paid for. I'm not going to just erase debts. I'm not going to erase that because that is not a just God. God does not, cannot just allow us. Instead, He Hate it himself. Romans 5, 9 and 10 says, We have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Jesus said, all right. God basically said, you can't pay the cost. You can't fix this, but I can and he sent Jesus. And there is no one who cannot escape because we all deserve the wrath of God. 
We have no reason to believe we deserve anything more than what we have. This natural entitlement, this selfishness, we need to throw it off and just appreciate what God has done for us. We need to appreciate it. God in his great mercy offered out an escape from torment, from eternal fire. That is the hope he offers. That is a promise. Are we grateful? Do we not see the whole picture how God is just? That's why he can he just couldn't let it go. The cost had to be paid. And and this is how I know he's got grace is instead of just wiping it clean. Saying, all right, now when you die, you're gone. You're, you're gone. You cease to exist. And then we could have enjoyed the life we have and then known we were made right. But he says, no, I'll prepare a place for you. I got one more text, but before I do, I'll call, ask the worship team to come up on stage. Jesus gave us a picture of of what happens. Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, I didn't put this in the notes. I'm sorry about that, but... Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus is explaining that that there is a real destination for both. For both believers and non-believers alike. Verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat whatever fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good deeds, your good things. And while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. And it has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets let them listen to them no father Abraham he said but if someone from the dead goes to them they will repent and he said to them if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead even if even if someone rises from the dead they won't repent Sounds like today. Sounds like today where we don't understand that there is a cost to our sin. We don't understand, we don't understand that this is a reality, not a metaphor. 
Eternal life is true. And eternal torment is also true. The wrath of God is something to be grateful for because if that's what it takes for us to repent, make ourselves right with God, then it is absolutely true. When Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, to carve it out, I'm thinking that is more literal than anything because he says, all right, you got everything you want in life like the rich man. Or you can embrace the suffering, embrace the hardship, because there's something better. There's a phrase that I've heard and I I often tell myself and I have to remind myself that in this life, at least for Christians, all the hardships, everything we face, everything we deal with, that's going to be the closest we get to hell. If we're in Christ, this is the closest we're going to get to hell. Because after this... No more suffering. Only peace with the presence of God. But for everyone else, all the joy they face, all the sunrises they see, all the peaceful nights they have, that's the closest to heaven that they're ever going to get. sad to say there's going to be many who don't who are going to hear about the resurrection of the dead and still not believe and that's Jesus' warning he's like that's real that is a reality you see God's wrath is not it is not evil it is not vengeful it is divine intervention it is justice in action it is his grace in action because sometimes for us to learn, we have to hurt and feel it first. But that promise of eternal joy in His presence is true. And He wants us to see that it is worth it. He wants us to know it's worth it. So if you're here with us today and you've never made that decision and you are concerned about your eternity, today's a good time to make a decision. Bobby and I would love to talk to you or if you need to repent. Because ultimately that's what God's wrath is. It's a call to repentance. It's to see that you need to get right with God. Because any moment could be your last. Be right with God. Find the peace in His presence. If you need prayer for that, if you need to throw off sin this morning, this is a great time to do it. I'm going to pray. And we'll do our last... We'll sing and worship. And if you have a decision to make or you need to pray, I pray you do so. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Lord, even despite all the all the trials in the world, all the, the hardships, times of suffering, times of, of hopelessness, Lord, we know you are working for our good. Lord, we know that your hatred of sin is a good thing that we can be thankful for, we can be grateful for because you are holy you are a holy God that desires righteousness in us Lord I pray for anyone who is struggling with sin Lord and who needs to repent to turn away from it and come back to you Lord I pray that you are working in them your spirit is filling them up and 
speaking to them and calling them to come home. Lord, I pray for so many who may be lost, who may not know the truth that there is that there is consequence to what's the, what, what is in the world. Lord, I pray that I pray for brave men and women to speak up, to speak up that salvation only comes from you. Lord, we know you're a just God and you and, and your grace reigns on all of us. And Lord, I pray we are grateful for every breath we breathe because we don't deserve it. take that gratitude with us each and every day and we remember that you are God and you are King and you are reigning above us all. Thank you so much for your great mercy and thank you so much for your Holy Son. I pray all these things in your Son's holy name. Amen.